Hi, this is Larry Hama, and you're listening to Star Joe's Podcast. From days of long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. Star Joe's Podcast, episode 146, the voice actors panel from JoeCon. I'm your host, Ryan, and welcome back, everyone. Yes, I was fortunate enough to attend JoeCon this year, as you guys know from the last episode, and while I was there, I actually was able to attend several of the panels that uh, that they hold there, and one of them that they hold is the voice actors panel, and they had three great guests, the voice of Zartan, uh, the voice of the Baroness, and the voice of Dr. Mindbender. Um, so you had uh, Morgan, Zach. Uh, Morgan was the voice of the Baroness, Zach, voice of Zartan, and Brian, who is the voice of Dr. Mindbender. They actually did two panels, and I was able to attend both of them and able to record both of them. Uh, I wasn't sure how the recordings were going to come out, uh, much like the Indianapolis one that was a couple years ago. But I took the shot because the last time I tried to do this, it worked out perfectly and you guys were able to, to hear them talk about stories and, and everything else. That was when it was Bill Ratner and uh, Mary McDonald Lewis. Uh, so I figured, well, let me give this a try again. And I think it came out just as well, if not maybe even a little bit better. I was able to sit a little bit closer to the speakers and everything. There are a couple points through the recordings that uh, you might might be a little tougher to hear what someone was asking or something, but I think from listening back to it, you can kind of tell what was asked uh, of the voice actors and kind of get a gist of what was happening. Um, like I said, they did two panels this time. So instead of just doing the, uh, the getting the one recorded, they did two panels last time I was at JoeCon, uh, but I didn't wasn't able to attend both of them. This time I was able to attend both, and both were very different. There was different stories. There was different questions. Uh, the second panel, which was on Sunday, they actually did the uh, script reading, which was really cool. 
there's a couple points where it's a little tough to hear what they are saying and, and understand what's happening, but for the most part, it's a funny little script reading that they do, and uh, it was a lot of fun to hear and a lot of fun to be there to see, but I wanted to be able to bring some of JoeCon to you guys. Um, they don't really, from my understanding, they don't really record these panels and put them out there for people to listen to. So I want to be able to do that for you guys. I want you guys to be able to hear and experience JoeCon as best as you can because I know a lot of people aren't able to go or, you know, if it's too far away because it does move every year. And uh, But I will say, if you get a chance to go, it's close to you and it's in driving distance, well worth going. I will say my experience this time going to JoeCon, even though I enjoyed it the first time I went, it was much better this time. I enjoyed it a lot more. And you don't need to buy, I know this is out there all the time and people are very shocked to hear this, but you don't need to buy the special collector edition pack in order to go to JoeCon. I know it's like three, $400. You don't need to buy that in order to go to JoeCon. They have general admission. Now, if you buy the special collector pack with the gold ticket mumbo jumbo that they do, it is a cool pack. I'm not knocking the collector club at all. It's a cool pack. They have some really cool items that they have for sale uh, at JoeCon that are part of the Collectors Club. And it's, you know, if, if you're a huge collector, it's well worth investing into. Um, but if you're just a casual fan, you don't need to buy that collector pack. You can just go to JoeCon. They, like I said, if you get the golden ticket, you get to go to the Friday early release day, you know, so you get to shop with other people that were only buying the, the gold ticket, platinum ticket, silver ticket, whatever tick color ticket they have. Um, I know they have multiple options. So, um, but if you're just someone that wants to go to JoeCon and experience it, check out the toys, go to the panels, um, meet some of the people there and, and interact with other Joe fans, uh, Saturday and Sunday are general admissions, like 20 bucks to get in and uh, for each day and it's well worth it especially if you're going to go to some of these panels like I went to because it's a unique experience to be able to hear these voice voice actors tell their stories and talk about doing when they did the show and talk about their experiences after doing the show and you get a chance to ask them questions you know they came around with a microphone and and you could ask questions and you will hear me in both panels asking a question I was fortunate enough to uh, think of something that I thought would be good that I thought people would want to hear about. So you'll hear me ask a question in the first panel and you'll hear, hear me ask a question in this the panel from Sunday. Um, I also have some other panels that I recorded. Uh, Robert Atkins, my co-host, uh, one of my co-hosts, he, uh, he was in an Art of G.I. Joe panel and I recorded that. So that'll probably be the next episode that gets put out uh, or at least one of the next ones that gets put out. And then I was also at the the Hasbro panel, and the Hasbro panel is where they re revealed all the toys that were coming out. Now, if you were following on Facebook, I took a lot of pictures and posted a lot of pictures and tried to give a lot of information as far as what is coming out this year from Hasbro in regards to G.I. Joe. They do have a lot coming out in a sense as far as they're having more coming out this year than they did last year, and, I, and they really listen to the fans, and in that panel you'll hear them talk about that, how they're actually listening to the fans and understanding why we're asking for some of the things that we're asking for. So that I will probably actually put as episode 147. So you'll 
hear the Hasbro panel from Jocon. Um, and then you'll hear in episode 148, you will hear Robert uh, talking about doing art on G.I. Joe. In both of those episodes, since the panels are, were only about an hour or under an hour long, in both of those episodes, I will also do a review of Darth Vader number one and Princess Leia number one to a full review to open up the show, make it a little bit longer, make it worth your while to listen to beyond just the information that's going to be from the panels. Um, also, it's a long time coming to cover those issues because I know additional issues have come out since then. So I want to cover those so this way we can also get into the Death of Snake Eyes issues that are out there. Um, the Combiner Wars from Transformers is out there. I want to be able to cover those. The He-Man Eternity War has been out there for a while. I want to still go back and cover that. Um, so there's a lot out there, and I want to make sure we're, we're keeping up with it as best as we can. Uh, episode 149 is going to be movies from 1982. Uh, we did record that before I even went to JoeCon, but I thought it was important to get this JoeCon stuff out there first for you guys. And then that'll come out as episode 149. And then we have big episode 150. I still don't know what the hell we're going to be doing for that. So stay tuned. Uh, I'm trying to get some guests on that I think you guys would be interested in hearing from. Um, but we'll, we're going to try and make that a big episode. I mean, episodes 100, 150, you know, multiples of 50 should be pretty big episodes and they should be something special for you guys to listen to. So looking forward to that. Again, I don't know who we're going to have, but going to be trying to line up some people here for you guys to listen to. Um, that's really all I have. You'll be hearing the voice actor panel. The one thing I do want to mention to you is there's one point where it's kind of a visual, you can kind of get an idea of, of what Zach is talking about when he's talking about being in the booth uh, for, you know, when they would actually do their parts and everything else. But I want to make sh it was kind of a visual gag or visual joke that he was talking about, although it was a real thing that they experienced, where he talks about you're in the sound booth and you give your line and then all you see is and then you hear nothing because what he does is he portrays what you're, what they would normally see through the glass, which is a lot of yelling and screaming and, and hollering people pointing fingers and turning to other people and pointing fingers at them. And so when you hear silence and you hear people laughing, that's what he's doing. He's, he's screaming and yelling and everything else, but in silence because that's what they saw. They didn't hear anything because they weren't pushing the little button so, that you, so the voice actor could hear anything. So I thought it was kind of important to let you know that that's what's happening when he's describing that. Um, like I said, I think you could probably pick up on that from uh, what he says afterwards and everything, but thought it was important to let you know. Um, other than that, everything else is related to sound, so there shouldn't, I don't think there should be any issues as far as understanding what was going on at, the, at these panels. I hope you really enjoy them. I love being able to bring stuff like this to you guys. Uh, speaking of bringing stuff to you guys before I bring the uh, voice actor panel on, I wanted to mention, uh, I know in the last episode we mentioned Diana Davis, and it was awesome meeting her. I have known of her on Facebook and a lot of the discussion threads, and if you're a Joe fan and you've been on discussion threads on, threads on Facebook or any place else, you've probably seen her name a lot. She is a big fan of Duke, and while I always joke around, you know, that that you know maybe I don't like Duke, I actually like Duke. I just like Flint better, and it's the same for Robert and everything as well. And I actually got to say to her, you know, hey, I'm more of a Flint fan. And she had a great line saying, well, I, Flint's cool, too. And she was like, 
you have to have your, your pepper with your salt. So, um, I thought that was pretty funny and pretty cool of her. Um, she was just, like I said, a very nice person. And I wanted to promote something that she is involved with. Like I said, she's a huge Duke fan. So she actually has a Facebook page called the art of Duke. And if you look it up, it is sketches and art pieces, uh, that she either found or has in her own collection. A lot of it is stuff she has in her own collection of, uh, Duke, uh, from GI Joe. So please go and like that on Facebook. Uh, she has become a huge supporter of Star Joe's. I want to thank her for that. She's brought attention to a lot of people about Star Joe's. So I want to return it in kind because I think what she's doing is pretty awesome. I love artwork. And even if it's Duke, it's still cool. It's still G.I. Joe. Uh, and it's still awesome. So I wanted to give a big shout out to her for putting that page together. And at least I think you guys should check it out. So but enough of me rambling here. Uh, I'll see you on the other side of this. And uh, here's the two voice actor panels from JoeCon. All right. Well, here we are. Everybody, if you take your seat, we're going to go ahead and uh, uh, we're going to go ahead and start with our final and most important panel of the day. We have got uh, three wonderful voice actors here with us. We've got Mr. Brian Cummings, who was the voice of Dr. Mindbender. We've got a GI Joe Con favorite veteran at this point, Morgan Lofting, voice of the Marinus. And then along with Brian, who is also making his uh, first JoeCon appearance, Mr. Zach Hoffman, voice of Zartan. So usually what we do is we just kind of start off, just they'll just kind of just say hello to the crowd, and I'm sure they'll start with a few stories. They always have stories. And then we'll open up to a Q&A and ask them whatever you'd like. So, well, within reason. So we'll go ahead and turn it over to them and take it away. Senator, I'd like to plead the fifth. Um, <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, what? I mean, Senator. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just like to say because it's my first time here, so it is so wonderful to see all of you. And uh, so, just so we can get this out of the way, hello, my little dreadnoughts. <laughs> so happy to see you. <laughs> can I get a cobra? I believe my army has arrived. So, how could you not have fun doing that? It's it was a it was a gas and a half, and uh, I, I just I just want to say this, and you know I, I I know that there are children out there, and and I, I just I don't Cover their ears. I don't Cover want to recommend this in any way, but uh, from 1979 to 1988, I tried to kill myself with drugs and alcohol. And you'd like me to remember 1982, 1983, and 1984. So if I don't, you know, if some of those brain cells are gone, I apologize, but uh, you know, it was, uh, was good times. We, we had a really good time. And, uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> so, so I'll just 
tell this story because I think everybody wants to know how did I get the part of Zartan? Is that the, the deal? So, yeah. so um, I uh, was drinking at a bar. See, I thought I'd get back to the other story. Now, I was drinking, and I was drinking, having drinks with uh, at an Italian restaurant owned by a guy named Carmine Michelli. And uh, we were having drinks at the bar, and I was talking to Wally, and, and um, I was doing improvisational theater in Los Angeles, and I was working with a group called the LA Connection. And uh, what we were doing was we were we were actually doing this live at the New Art Theater. We were dubbing in old bad movies uh, and, and putting a new soundtrack to them. And we did, uh, they did Plan 9 from Outer Space was the first one. And then they did Brainiac, which is a very, very bad uh, um, Mexican horror movie. And the third one, they went back to Ed Wood again and they did Bride of the Monster. And when we screened, yeah, exactly, the guy goes, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and so uh, we screened it and I said, you know, let's try and make this a James Bond movie. And they said, great idea. And so, that you know, the villain was, you know, Dr. Something or other. And, uh, and so, and I was, of course, James Bond. And I was doing my best Sean Connery as I possibly could. And of course, you know, I couldn't say pussy galore enough. And I was just having a great time being Bond. And I'm telling this story to Wally, and Wally's sort of like looks at me strange and he says, we can't find a voice for this character on the, on the show that I'm doing. Would you like to come in and audition? And I said, absolutely. And, and he showed me a picture, which is a, a, just a, sort of a black and white shell drawing of this guy who sort of looked like Kiss. You know, he sort of looked like the lead. I didn't know it was a hood. I thought it was his hair. And, you know, I'm just like, that's a cartoon character? Okay. And he told me that he was, you know, sort of like, that he was, uh, it could, his powers and that um, he took on other people's, and he was the evil villain. So uh, I went home and he looked like a soldier. So I sort of read a little um, Shakespeare and I went to, um, the Merry Wives of Windsor, and and uh, and I looked at uh, Falstaff, and I thought that that would be a good Shakespearean base for him. And then I read the first chapter of uh, Arthur Clarke's uh, Clockwork Orange. No, be but anyway. Yeah, but he <laughs> because he was sort of Alex-esque because he hung out with the Dreadnoughts, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. then I came up with this voice and, you know, came in and did the audition and uh, I got the role. And <laughs> that's the story. Okay. Good night, everybody. Right. Is this is what we're doing, how we, how we got the part. Okay. Okay. No, I like this. I like this. Okay. Because I read this thing which says we're going to tell our personal stories and I go, oh, crap. What haven't I talked about already? <laughs> All right. Um, God, this is hot. Am I? Do I need to like to stay here so we don't fry everybody's eardrums? Okay. Wally Burr's studio. But Wally Burr wasn't directing. It was Don Rich who had done a lot of Hanna Barbera stuff, and I guess I had probably worked on because I did some Spider-Man in 
you get the script and you get a black and white drawing of the character and there must have been a breakdown, something that said, okay, she's going to be from Europe and it's going to be kind of a foreign accent. So you've got some lines and you know what she looks like. And if anybody's interested in reading this whole thing, Jim Sorensen has this wonderful set of books that show all the black and white drawings for all the characters. And in the afterword for volume two, I wrote about the audition, what I can remember. So anyway, I've got the script, and I've got the picture, and you want to go play, but you don't want anybody else to know what you're thinking of. Okay, so you go outside, and you know it's going to be a villain, which I love, because they get to holler a lot. Okay, okay. So I work up something, and I have no idea, darling, why she has this middle European accent. It is nowhere. Nobody sounds like this. Nobody. Okay, anyway. You know, anyhow, some some country, somewhere. Okay, and walk in, do the audition for Dawn. But I think what really captured the audition was there was a cobra in it. And, you know, one of those cobra things. So, I think, since we're all here, and I'm not going to do this on mic, because if you do it on mic, you can positively fry the room. All right, so I'll do Cobra, and then we'll all do Cobra, okay? Now, I haven't done this in a while, you know, so, all right, here goes the taunting. Okay. Cobra! Cobra! And I think that's probably what won the audition. As Michael Bell used to say, there was blood on the recording room window. So, yeah. Yeah? Okay. All right, everybody. It all, it's kind of weird it's how all this stuff started. Uh, we were all showing up at the same auditions, doing similar things. We've all done cartoon shows with various people, Hanna-Barbera. Uh, Wally and I knew each other because I built kind of a crummy little studio on Ventura Boulevard uh, in Studio City. And at a certain point, uh, Wally needed a studio, and I wasn't making any money in the studio, so I sold it to Wally. He bought the studio from me. I don't think he liked me afterwards, but he didn't buy the studio from me because of what he paid for the studio. That's another story. Uh, Wally, and I read for Wally a lot of times, but Wally had a military background, and he kind of intimidated me. Because I was just kind of, I was doing like really kind of happy, little, you know, trouncy, flouncy, fun cartoon characters. And, and so... What happened is, is uh, Wally cast me for a, a Pink Panther special. I've told everybody who I've signed autographs for. You know all these stories, but I'm repeating anyway. So <laughs> we had a cast who was like the worst reviewed Pink Panther special ever done. I don't know why, but it was like a, a flop with the critics. But what made it interesting was it was the first Pink Panther special in which the Panther had a voice. And they hired Matt Frewer, who used to be Max Headroom, who's done a lot of character work, to be the voice of the Pink Panther. And he hired Frank Welker, who you know, and Hal Smith, who was famous as Otis the Town Drunk on Andy of Mayberry. He did a ton of voiceover work, very talented and amazing man. And yours truly, to be a bunch of gangsters in this, uh, in this Pink Panther epic. And Hal got delayed at another session, 
So while it was late in the day, while he was tired, he went, if I have to have Hal come in and do his characters and do all of his pickup lines, then I got to edit every single one of Hal's lines into the show. I'm tired. I don't want to do that. So in Wally fashion, he said, so I'm just going to give you his parts as we get to them. And when Hal shows up, he'll do whatever's left. And I think even though when Wally bought the studio, he didn't like me. He, I think, was impressed that we both ponied up and did characters we didn't expect to do and found differences with him and did a good thing. So now it's time to cast G.I. Joe. And I got a call from Wally and said, I kind of throw you a bone. i give you a chance to come in and read for this guy. So I went in to read for the Cobra Interrogator Doctor, having not seen the character design. And so as I walked in, I'm thinking, slimy, evil, bad doctor. And then I saw this guy with this big barreled bare chest and a cape on and leotards that were two sizes too tight. So you knew he was angry at something. I was going to tell you that I slept with Dr. Mindbender to get the part, but you already know I do that anyway. So, but, so I, I looked at this character and it just spoke Arnold. It just spoke the, the, the Schwarzenegger, you know? So we started out with that and we didn't even get to the other characters. He loved it and then he pretty much took those tights and made them three more sizes too small to turn up the angst, and we found the Dr. Mindbender. And, and the rest is history. What makes this show special, and what makes it great here to appear with my fellow cast members is, again, not to say anything bad about our fearful, I mean fearless director Wally Burr, is that Wally was very uh, military in background, and he was very, if there are kids here, a novel about making sure that the characters were just right. And so you'd read the lines till they were perfect, and we had a huge cast. So when you went to Hanna-Barbera, you were, it was like, Hanna-Barbera was like one of those people you meet in college, you read it out in half an hour and go, okay? When we were with Wally, we were there for what, four hours? Oh God. You know, so we, we would go in and do our parts, then we'd go out and sit on the couch, and we'd hang out with each other. So at the time, we were probably going, I'm losing money because I could be out there. But we were hanging out with each other and getting to know each other, and that's why we had this amazing cast. We all loved each other. We all got along and worked together. And it really helped our character interplay because we were pals. You know? Yeah. It was cool. But when we got in the sessions, I wish we could have actually worked off one yeah, another. Yeah, well, yeah. Wait, no. Yeah, 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 no. Yeah. What I want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do have, I actually, at the end of this, if we have time, I'll share you a Wally story about Wally told by Wally. Okay, so you can't, we can't be bashing because he bashed himself and I'll share with you. But, but we, so the great thing about the Joes were that we all have a great deal of respect for each other and love for each other because we've worked together as an ensemble on the whole thing. And that's kind of one of the things, is despite all these directions, I think we were better because we, I know. No, no I know. We, we, an ensemble that worked one at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's we, something wrong with that. We, but, but, well, I think we found a sense of interplay. There's that thing you do, you know, where... As, as an improv actor, actors and we're always like we're, you know, we, we are we are playing off people that are living in our own imaginations like when Dawes Butler did uh, uh, quit from abroad and Bottle Louie playing back and forth with himself we still had that sense of working together even when Wally stopped us yeah. because we knew each other we got each other's rhythms and that was kind of cool yeah. so so that's how that's how I ended up in a cast of really wonderful people thought and I will I, I will also admit to you that when I first went to Hollywood if you are aspiring as an actor and you have that flop sweat. The first time I was at Hanna-Barbera, the director said we thought we were having an earthquake. And it wasn't an earthquake, it was me trying to act like I wasn't scared, but I shook so much that the room vibrated. 
So the deal with, again, the deal with Wally is that military thing where they throw you in the pool and say, I'm going to teach you to swim. Now you're in the pool. If you don't swim, you're going to drown. So swim. That's the way it was with Wally. And it worked for us all, right? Now I can pass it down and you tell more stuff. Okay, okay thank you. Okay, hang on. Okay. Well, I just, I just want to say this. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. This is, and, and I will try and recreate what it, what it actually was like because, you know, it, there would be parts where you would have a line, and the line, and I'm guessing, would be something like, um, "I want you dreadnoughts to go and get in the tank and take out that hill," and that was the line. And then you deliver the line, right? And and we were in front of microphones, and and then about seven eight feet away was a, a big glass window. You know, this is just this big glass window, and Wally and two other guys would be in there. And so you're standing up, and it's your line, and you give the line, and then this is what you you see because you don't hear anything because they have to punch the button. Okay, okay, give us the line, Zach. I want you dreadnoughts to go up and take the tank and then blow up the hill. <laughs> and then this is what I would see. <laughs> okay, Zach, that was fine. <laughs> Scares the crap out of you and stuff. Isn't it? And, but but the, really, the serious thing is you think they're going, he sucked, he's lousy, why did we pass it? And they're going, and Wally's going, you brought me sushi yesterday and I was in the bathroom for four hours. Don't bring me sushi. We had no idea what they were saying. No, we all of course not, of course not. Yeah. What used to drive me absolutely crazy, and this isn't particularly funny, is you guys realize how loud I can yell, Cobra. Yeah. And I would do it. And then they go, you know, no, Wally would say, we, we've got to have more volume. <laughs> what? And, and I think, subsequently, I think the engineer was doing something with the resistor or something because it was like, there's nowhere else to go, you know. But I'd do it another time and he'd go, oh, okay. Okay? What? I, I, seriously, this is the hammer. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, very frustrating. I think with this particular very story, frustrating. I think the guy who was mixing was like on the board there was was like doing this on the board all the time yeah, to watch out for the spikes. And yeah. maybe maybe he brought it down because he expected it to be louder, and then they wanted you to do it again because he was like. Well, oh, and that's weird. also it's the 80s, yeah. and I would walk into a studio, and my voice can be deep, obviously, um, and they would say, no, 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 we don't use women to do narrations on this because women's voices don't cut. Well, honey, you learn how to edit with different voices. And this is true. They could they didn't know how to edit. They didn't know how to mix the sound with a woman's voice. And they've subsequently learned that it's only thirty years later, so one would hope. But anyhow, <laughs> moving right along to something jocular, key. We can have people ask, actually ask yeah, questions. We, we love to sure. ask we questions. questions you know? Unless nobody has any questions. Come on. Nobody has any questions. We'll start with the questions here. Two, one, okay. one, two. There you go. You did. We see hands. We see hands. All right. Did you wash 
your hands. Just wait, 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 be sure we don't look, want to turn. Look, there's somebody way, way back there way in back. Indiana who has a question. Just think of this, that our mixing engineer doesn't have to join a holiday health spa because he's getting all the exercise he needs right now. <laughs> um, um, Brian was talking about uh, Arnie Schwarzenegger. Uh, I met a man at a JoeCon, not a JoeCon, sorry, a BotCon, who came up to me and who was the art director for Ben Ham on Cartoon Network. And he drew me a character. And I said, well, he was a Baroness fan. Okay, so I said, what do you want my new character, my robot, to sound like? And he said, well, I want it to sound like the Baroness, but I want it deeper. I mean, you know, I'm like, oh, my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. So what am I going to use? And I thought, okay, I'll do Arnie. So for this character on Ben 10, Festina, I did, I am not huge. I am dainty. You know? <laughs> so I got to do Arnie too. I got to do Arnie. And of course, we're not going to talk about all the people in Hollywood who've done Arnie. That's a different thing. In fact, well, I used to do spots for Universal and they, when they opened the Arnold Schwarzenegger um, the Terminator thing in Florida, they brought Arnold in the studio to just say, Dark. And, and what was hilarious, my producer said, is they spent something like 85 takes with Arnold having him say, and Arnold was not capable that day of doing his own version of, I'll be back. And so it's hilarious. But Arnold walked out and then they called the voice actor. Right. <laughs> yeah. Andrew, uh, I'll tell you, this is my favorite story about being an actor in Hollywood is is uh, they wanted Al Pacino after he did Scarface. At, he was on, on the lot at Universal. They he wanted him to, uh, I'm trying to think who it was, Martin, wasn't Scorsese, but it was, uh, I don't know who it was, but uh, uh, the director wanted him to do uh, non-swearing, non because there were a lot of swearing throughout, uh, and so he wanted Al to go back and loop in uh, some non-swearing stuff so he could make a PG version of it so they could sell it to television. So you and Pacino okay. flatly refused, right? And so now me and all my buddies were like going, do you want, you know, like we're trying to do Al Pacino, do, do you want to do this? You do, come on, baby, come on, baby, I'm going to, would you, we're going to, you know, and everybody's doing out, you know, like you had like 10 people doing Al Pacino, and of course, when Al Pacino heard that, he said, okay, I'll do the, uh, I'll do the, uh, <laughs> oh, the television version, oh God, okay, all right, all right. Okay, we have a question back there. Really? Okay. Can you differentiate between, um, off-screen or voiceover work, and in front of the camera, can you differentiate between um, voiceover for animation and voiceover for announcing? Well, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But, well, and, <laughs> one would just write, then you've got a spare piece of coffee. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, buy, buy coffee. Buy <laughs> coffee today. I love my coffee. Another, you're you're creating a character, and you got to put the energy into right yeah. into a cartoon character because you've got limited drawing happening. When you're doing a voiceover, there's generally a picture. The difference is motion. If you're talking to a large monster uh, from another world versus you're talking to someone at coffee across the table, you're as, as a commercial, you need to communicate in a very believable and subtle way. 
with cartoon characters, you have to be big. It's, it's kind of like watching, uh, watching uh, I hate to say, Kevin Costner when he played Elliot Ness, played him very close to Elliot Ness. And the movie is great, but Costner is kind of boring because he tried to do it as natural as possible. You have to add some drama when you're doing a, a performance that's got to be a little bit larger in life. And consider with animation, you also don't have the physical expression in the character that a real actor has. Right. So you compensate yeah. for that with using the voice. So that's part of it. Yeah. Huh? So here's another question here, and then we'll get that. If you all said, like, Cobra, real loud at the same time, like, real fast, three times, would your voice sound different? Mm. Well, then, yeah. <laughs> I would be able to talk. Then what? Yeah. <laughs> you heard Jim. Cobra, Cobra, Cobra! See, it's totally different. It changes everything. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Because I, when I do it, I tend to do it back here, and I just rip Makes everything it. right off. Oh, there is a yeah. there is a side benefit when you get really ripped by doing something like that. If you're looking for a really great textured character, you have about a day where the texture is just you know, oh, yeah. phenomenal, and you can do great stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. Where you kind of bruise the cords a little bit. Sometimes friends get really high after yeah. that, you know, which I can't do anyway. But you can, but you do less of gravity, like you know, people like uh, oh, what was the guy from from the Aliens? Uh, I, I, I totally forgot his name. John Hurt. Yes, if you do a John Hurt slimy fellow and you've been ripping up your throat, he gets more real, you know, real texture. I often wonder, and and of course I never ask. Chris is. Chris was strange if you want to hear stories. But anyway, Cobra Commander. Oh man. What did that do to his voice? Oh my god. I mean I've got it right up yeah. here, like in the in the back, right close to the palace. Wow. And then Wally would stop and go, can you uh, get us some more hissing sound uh, at the end of <laughs> Yes, I can. I know. Like, right. Like, All right. There you go. It's like it's like you know doing an person of someone like James Brown, uh, or if you're like pretending you're an Aerosmith or something, you you really have to like rip it up. You have to get that through. But on the other hand, there is a point where you get better at protecting your voice because it's like playing a guitar and getting you know fingers that are callous. Your vocal cords get to where they can withstand more of that kind of abuse just because of the use. Uh, of but voice. I never I never asked him. He was so quiet when he wasn't in character. Um, he it was he was almost not there. Kind of Because Greg Berger and I did a little ad thing, uh, just a, uh, for Hollywood Reporter when they had an anniversary of some kind, and he went around with the two of us, but he really didn't talk to anybody. Greg and I were the talkers as we tried to get the art set and everything. I don't know if you've ever gone on YouTube and seen some of Chris Lattice stand-up. He's wearing shades, and he's being nasty. It's like, oh my god. But then he's a character. It's like, Wow. <laughs> you can, this, characters can do, that's great. The character protection is great because you can do things as a character that you would never do personally. Yes. And stay out of jail. It's awesome. That's one of the great things. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but also psychologically, yeah. you can do things yeah. as a character. You put on a mask and you can do all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's something strange about that. I don't want to go there. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you have a, a cat.
cap on, sir. And it's you haven't seen that, you know, I'm just mentioning that. It's open. There's nothing there. It's all open. <laughs> it's just to keep everything in. Okay. All right. So we have another actual intelligent question while we battle here. Yes. Uh, intelligent, well, we'll see. Um, you all worked on G.I. Joe the movie with uh, Sergeant Slaughter, Don Johnson, and Burgess Meredith. Do you have any stories, any funny happenings with any of the three of them? Or any wisdom from them or anything? They weren't there. Yeah, yeah. well, they were there. <laughs> Wait, we shot. Everything was recorded separately. So it was recorded at Paramount uh, Recording Studios on uh, Santa Monica Boulevard near Vine Street. And um, it was owned by uh, the Brolin, you know, uh, what's his, uh, James? James? James Brolin's kids, okay. the two kids, uh, Josh. Josh and his brother, owned the recording studio. Oh, and gosh. so and I, I had worked there before, so, you know, I got to say hello and la 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 and schmooze a little. And of course, it's like, I'm walking in as Leonard Nimoy is walking out, you know, and I'm walking in out as Don Johnson is walking in. I'm going, come on, <laughs> you know, we all want to be in the same room with these guys, but, you know, that's... Yeah. That they just did every line very mm -hmm. much, uh, you know, you got to do your lines, yeah. and then yeah. you were out. Well, that Celebrities was, in, No, no, in the answer to you, what's the difference between doing, you know, just a, a radio spot or a voiceover where you're on mic or by yourself, when you're doing cartoons, you're reacting. Hello, there's nobody there to react to. So you got to carry, sometimes they will feed you the you can hear it in the headset. So you have an energy, a response energy, and sometimes you just have to imagine what they might have sounded like and give it the energy. I mean, they're always asking you to uh, dodge the rocket ship. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, they, and you, you do B-roll stuff. They, understanding that celebrities who don't do this on an everyday basis, they would get the line, so they would have you do a little interplay kinds of things and sounds and, and things. So you, it's up to the voice actor then, who's used to creating interplay in, in a, a vocal performance, to kind of try to find some of that bridging between the characters. So you're creating that communication where none existed before. And there, so you just do those things like where you make a little sound like you respond to someone, or or you start in a hesitating way. So. And you have to kind of manufacture that. That's part of the game. Yeah. And in yeah. Joe, it's I hit somebody. Yeah. I am yeah. hit. Ooh. Yeah. It's even, in one case, I did one of the Jungle Book pictures, and it was John Goodman who was playing the Baloo character, and and John could do his he could do John Goodman, but I basically was the stunt performer because I had to go in and do all the stuff for John that was physical that he wasn't didn't understand to do as a vocal performance. Of course. I was obviously credited. Well, no, I wasn't. Okay, but, then, <laughs> you know, but that's how it goes. No. <laughs> Long time listener, first time caller. Uh, I just wanted to, uh, since you mentioned John Goodman, I did want to hear your John Goodman. We had you on a podcast a while back, and it was quite quite interesting. I knew a really awful John Goodman. I don't know how, but it's just one of those things that I cried. I did. You know, the movie, the, the guys who did the movies do storyboards. And uh, one of the former directors at Hanna Barbera, this is. Uh, show business at its best. When I, I did the uh, storyboard stuff for Emperor's New Groove, then when they then when they did Monsters Inc, I did about 60 different toys and talking things as John Goodman as Sully. Then they did Emperor's New School and hired me to do Pacha. I did the first season. The director said it was the best sound alike that I've ever done. And then at about two thirds of the way through the season, they replaced me with another guy. <laughs> so, 
is this kind of it's showbiz. And then the guy they replaced me with, who sounded much more like John Goodman, didn't really sound like John Goodman. So they finished redoing the shows with him, and then they replaced him with John Goodman, who they were trying to save money and not hire for the deal. What but, a uh, concept! It's, yeah, it's weird stuff. Isn't that the life of an actor? You know, just bring totally. me John Goodman. Uh, bring me a John Goodman type. Yeah. Who's John Goodman? Yeah. yeah. Uh, there you right. Go. And then, bring me a cheap John Goodman. Academy Award nomination, and then bring me John Goodman, and he's <laughs> back again. So, and I've done that a couple of times in my life. I, I did a feature film that he also did recently that I can't tell you specifically what, but I basically replaced John Goodman for that as well, only because he was exhausted and he only had one day for them. But celebrityhood gives people certain perks. And, and it's fascinating It's fascinating for us if we get to step into somebody else's shoes and feel a little bit of the character. I like John because he's kind of curmudgeonly, but has a mushy heart, so it makes it really fun to do. It's kind of neat. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm wondering, I know you said before the movie you all recorded your lines separately, but I heard that when you were making the show, it wasn't a common to have several actors in the, uh, in the studio at the same time. Uh -huh. What was the most actors you were with for a recording session ever? And I think it was eight. Yeah. Wasn't it four and four? And they'd be angled. Yeah. They'd be angled so you could see each other. Yeah. And usually, you know, Cobra on one side, G.I. Joe on the other. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't we did have men's rooms and ladies' rooms. We had yeah, Cobra. It was a very small group of Cobra people. Yeah, we used to hang together. Yeah. Not really. But anyway. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. Did, did it take you guys any longer than it would have? Or, or I mean, I know that Willie Burr ran things pretty much, you know, ship, uh, ship shape, and he liked everything, you know, military style. But I imagine when you have that many people in there, you must have cracked yourself up. Well, you got to understand it was the first time that um, it wasn't being animated by an American company. So what was happening was Wally would rehearse it like a radio show, basically. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then we would do it, they would patch it all together, and they would send that voice, the, they'd send the show basically, which was the voice and the sweetness and the explosions of the show, the soundtrack, to Japan, and Sunbow would animate it from there. Yeah. So, you know, and, and a lot of times what you were watching, uh, especially in Japanese animation, was Japanese animation being looped by American actors. So this was sort of the reverse, which was really mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. yeah. So in a sense, you didn't have the time constraints. I mean, you couldn't take a lot of time because you had to keep the energy up. But it's not like you've got to match somebody else's length of line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but because there were so many people in the cast and it was such a large production, one of the reasons we would get interrupted by Wally and get interrupted in, in context of where we were reading the lines would be, it takes time, again, it's like the editing thing on the Panther thing, it takes time to edit a line back in from a long distance away. So it would, I'm sure it was the economy of the situation required that we do the pickups as close to where the actual line was for the, the economy of just being able to get the show together quickly oh, and efficiently, yeah. you know? Yeah. Sure, that's part of the deal. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, I have one quick question with the two, right here. With the last two G.I. Joe movies and the third one on horizon at some point, did Hasbro or Paramount come to you guys at any point and say, hey, we want you to have a cameo in the, on the movie or do any voiceover work or anything for them at all? Duh. <laughs> 
You hear the crickets? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not sure they knew I was still alive because I was. <laughs> Yeah. They shot her six times and she's now, still alive. Yeah, now I'm yeah. um, In the world of I, Justin I Bieber, you're over 20. For a long, long time. You know, I was out of the business for a long, long time, but no. No. Yeah, thank you. What now happens is it is so important to these people. They've decided that the winning formula is to have somebody you know playing the part. It's less important oftentimes that the part is effectively voiced than it's voiced by somebody that people know. And that's just oh, the reality well, of marketing sure. today. Sure. Know? And and I love Miller. I mean, I, I've seen her in so many things. And I absolutely adore her, but I refuse to go see the Miller, the the movies. I mean, there's this imposter on the screen. What are you yeah. going to do? <laughs> when you see what they've done to the doctor. Oh. Hey guys, I got a question. All right, so you talked about Chris, and you talked about the polar opposite kind of. He'd be real quiet when he wasn't on the mic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was there anyone who came to the studio who uh, they almost couldn't shut it off, or maybe that was their? Oh, all the, all the men. You go to get coffee. All the men. Oh, mother of God! I was. Right, I think at one point I said, "Listen, if you know, it's one crotch joke after another. If anything goes missing, I promise to tell you. Do you think you would just no? That just one." Because, well, we riff off one another, and the mm -hmm. cast is basically guys. Yeah. Because there was me and Scarlett, and then and then they added in Lady J, and then they started adding in your your lady, and but it was it was basically it was basically it was basically all guys. Anyway, in a voiceover session, if you are all in the room when no work is happening, I mean you've heard us do it up here. We go into voices. The Lord is that oh. we're just talking, yeah. and we'll talk, and we'll bounce off one another, and we'll improv, and because this this is who we are, and we don't even think about it. And I'm talking to somebody who has a strange accent. I have to be careful that I don't start talking like that. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, the sessions are wild, and the sessions are crazy because you're you're red. I think we're. I think many of us are, are poster people for ADHD. Anyway, so it's really, yeah, it's really yeah. to get it out. But, but you, you know? come out of a two-hour section yeah. and you're drained because you have taken an eight-hour day and you just. Also, in all fairness, because we have gaps when we perform, some of this stuff, the riffing and all those things, are ways we keep the energy up. We keep yes. the juices flowing yeah. and we keep us really, you know, primed and on the edge to do the best work we can. So that's part of the deal too. Occasionally, you find somebody like Chris who just kind of like holds it in and explodes, which in itself is delightful. Well, he, needed, he needed a mask. I don't know if any of you folks have ever worn a mask, but it allows you to cover yourself yeah. and to be. And there's the change. It's, it's yeah. Avatar. It's, it's a live action Avatar, is what it is. Yeah. You are masked. And the, the yeah. thing I remember is, is that, um, they, that during the script reading, uh, if somebody got to a line um, that said, uh, um, like Cobra Commander would, or Destro would say, uh, I want you to get into that Skyhawk and fly, some actor would lean into the microphone immediately after and go, Skyhawk, available at toy stores soon. And that would be like a running yeah. joke through every yeah. single okay. Okay. Sure. Because that's a Cobra Copter. Cobra Copter, available soon at yeah. toy stores everywhere. 
And, then, and you put eight people in the room, and each one is stopping the last one. It can be chaos after a while. We're going to go right. It's awesome. You'd be careful not to step on the line, because we what you call razor room, so you weren't <laughs> killing the line. But yes, yes, it was, it was, it's manic! <laughs> I like, are, are we having trouble talking? Here we are. Up here you are. Huh? Yeah. You know. I, if, if you're fledgling scriptwriters, it just occurred to me when the ad-libs occur that there was a word that we discovered was a magical word you could put in any script at any place. Someone could be funny, and you could be funnier if you just said this one word, and that word is, can't hold your ears, naked. It just works everywhere. It's perfect. It's wonderful. <laughs> just remember that. If you ever write a script, use that word. If you use it any place in sentence, it's always good. Okay. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I would imagine that when you guys were uh, doing the show, it was kind of like you're in a bubble, you're not realizing how much it's really impacting the rest of the world. When did you guys realize how big G.I. Joe was? Well, I was... Yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I, it, was, it was early 90s when I was still in the business and I was doing some sort of, I don't know, educational film or something out on location. And I haven't mentioned to this young guy who probably would have been about eight or nine in 1980, I said, you know, I did the voice of the Baroness and that there was this strange pause. And I realized that, I mean, he had just stopped. I think he stopped breathing. Um, and I was like, oh, come on. It's a cartoon. No idea. No idea. And and when people started coming, and it was basically guys at that point who were watching it in the 1980s, although there are lots of women in their fans now. But these guys are married now, and they come, and they say, and this is my wife, and these are my children. And the first time that happened, I was kind of like, Really? <laughs> you know, but I, I came to understand that probably as children, we all had things that got us through certain points in life. And Joe, for some people, was it. And it, it just took me a while to process. But Yeah, but who thought? I mean, you, you go in, you go to the studio, you have a fabulous time, you know you're going to get paid, leave, and you go home. You know, hey, 35 years later, somebody's going to know about this. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, you know, but I'll tell you this. So we're, we're doing it, and, and uh, it, seems, it seems really popular. You know, it seems really popular, and then it was gone rather quickly, right? It was only three years. And so then you sort of, and, and I'm not doing this every day. I'm, you know, I come in once a week, once every three weeks, and I, I do an episode, and I'm doing other things, you know, I'm doing foreign films, I'm doing this, I'm acting, I'm doing improv, so my days are filled, and, and then you move on. I mean, when, yeah. when yeah. Joe was over, I, I, got, I, I took a tour, you know, and, and did uh, Masters of the Universe. And so that that went for a year and a half, and uh, you know, and then the next, and the next, and the next, yeah. and then here we are, and it's amazing. Here we are, still alive. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> that's really amazing. But here we are, and and uh, you know, 
could I say that, like when I was when I was doing this, that I would think that this would last that long? Absolutely not. Is it? Do when I look at it now, is it wonderful? Absolutely. Do I still get a a kick when uh, people, you know, like, what did they want Zartan to do? One of those uh, community service things that they do because uh, what is it? Knowing is half the battle. Yeah, what could Zartan possibly have done? Come on. When you burn down someone's house, run away. Because knowing is half the battle. I have nine million kids, and, and the thing is, you, if you if you want to watch what's going on, if something goes on, we, we all did a lot of different shows, and nobody mentions like uh, any of the other shows that I did. Nobody comes up and talks about the characters, but I had actually eight kids, a number of them sons, and when their friends would really be excited about GI Joe long after we did the show, you realize you start to realize something's going on here, and it, so at first you don't really. Think about it, because you're busy doing your day-to-day -day work, concentrating on the work that you're doing now. So this kind of, it did sneak up on us, but if you listen to the kids, kids know what's happening. And then kids, those kids that you should listen to are here and you all grew up, like my kids did, okay? Well, the only difference is you don't come back and ask me for money, but, <laughs> and, and, and carry it with you. Well, you can try it. You can ask, you know, ain't gonna get it, it any more than they will now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> car by your own. Okay. <laughs> you kind of just alluded to it, but I'm curious, with G.I. Joe, what was the production schedule like for you? Was it one episode every two weeks? Was it three episodes? Or did, or did it vary? Like, what was it like? Good question. We're old. We don't remember. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. No, I, I no. don't remember, and I was in every one of those shows. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Again, there, I don't remember. The time that we did this stuff... The animation business was very active in Los Angeles, and we were all going from place to place and session to session. We were invested in what we were doing when we were there, but we had a lot of other, other, you know, what's the guy on the variety show that spins the plates on the poles? We had lots of plates going that we were trying to keep spinning, and we would devote ourselves to what we did and then move on because it's just the way it was. And that's yeah. what makes this, I think, to us especially wonderful is it's like something we did grew and became special on its own strength and then kind of came back to enrich our lives afterwards, which makes it even, I think, sweeter. And we just, yeah. it kind of snuck up on us, and it was thanks to you guys that we came here. Yes. Yeah. And, and internet, too, because even though there was always a groundswell, I mean, as somebody I met in the 90s, but now we can communicate with one another all the time. You can communicate with one another. You can sell each other things. Yeah. Hey, how about that? Um, so you just know that that just lifted the whole enterprise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. I guess it is hot. Um, I'm wondering, you could save this for tomorrow's session, but if you could do a little improv in character for us. Uh, let's say you're in the Cobra Lounge trying to figure out what to watch on Netflix. Before we do that, can I say something? I hate you. You have a really deep voice. I want you to go away. What are we doing? We're casing back in the lounge. Is it like waiting around to get in trouble? I could be doing that same old stuff. These leotards keep killing me. I'm dying. <laughs> Listen, 
I want to watch House of Cards, and I want to watch them all right now. And don't pop the popcorn too dark, Baroness. Why don't you go over the corner? Wait, wait, darling, I have no idea why you think I'm doing anything that has anything to do with cooking. <laughs> you are the popcorn pop, honey. You do it yourself. <laughs> You're right. You're right, Baroness. That's what I have dreadnoughts for. Good. Why don't you take your iPod, go over in the corner and watch it on Netflix while I make the popcorn for the baby myself? Thank you, Doctor. <laughs> I think we have two more questions. We're already over our time, so I'm going to let them finish. Things. We can go up to our room if you want. You know, yeah, yeah come on up. We'll, we'll answer questions. No, we're going to let his room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this might be kind of a big question, but of the voices you've done, which have been the most fun? Villains. Every now and well, I did, I did Aunt May on Spider-Man. You know, and that was that was fun. She was sweet. But I know. Yes, thank you, Petey. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> would you like to make the popcorn? Okay. Um, but villains, just because, you know. Yes. Where else are you going to get lines like, like the you know the lines we have or the the the, the stories that. <laughs> The synthoid conspiracy. It's melting! You know, you don't tell, you know, you, you get that. I can tell you, I can tell you the story of the, my most disappointing voice, which would be, I waited all my life to do a Japanese, to dub in a Japanese kung fu. I couldn't wait to do, it was like, I, I was like drooling to do it, and I was like busy. And and all of a sudden I got a call from a guy named Fred Land. Fred Land. He said, "I want uh, I, Zach. Uh, we're doing a Japanese film, The Lady in Red. We'd like you to be the lead." And I went, "I'm on my way, Fred. You know." And you play the lady in red? No, God. <laughs> and that's what it was called. And and I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Switch on. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for this. And and what does it turn out to be? What uh, was like a Jimmy Stewart drawing comedy? <laughs> they wanted me to do uh, just a little guy like this. Yeah, I was so drunk. After a while, I, I did a game called Die by the Sword, and I, I was like, always like, eat steel, beast. But I got so tired, it was like your voice was ripped up, and I didn't ever have anything more to do. It's kind of boring, but people you know, bought the game, love to give it. Sometimes, but I, I think the answer to, to your question is sometimes. Though it would be appropriate to say that that these characters are our best characters, it's like I have eight kids. I took every one of my kids together and I said, "Don't tell your brother, don't tell your sister, but you're my favorite." <laughs> and I think every one of our characters exists in our in some place of our subconscious, and each one in their own way is a favorite. When I mean, you love them all, or else you don't do them well. I think it's part of the deal. And it's like great because you're driving down the road, you're never alone because you've always got somebody with you. It's awesome. Oh, God. Cool. Oh, yeah, that's true. Other people listen to the radio or they turn on music, and I'm like, what? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, cool. I've got, mm, yeah, stuff. Yes, yes. 
Mm-hmm. I was caught one time uh, practicing the voice of Jabba the Hutt because I was doing him in a in, in some sort of comedy sketch. And uh, one day you will learn how to appreciate me. <laughs> so I'm I'm in a car doing that. One day you will learn to appreciate me. <laughs> And I, I look, and there's this woman, like just, like, like just looking at me, like, <laughs> yeah. You're like, you can't explain it. You know? No, no, no. <laughs> of course, now everybody's talking on their hands-free cell phones, so they just look at you like, okay, he's having an argument with his girlfriend again. But yeah, <laughs> it's nice. Thank goodness for that, because we can do bizarre stuff. And yeah, when they used to come out of the subways in New York and they go, ah, 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 ah. Yeah. you said, okay, there's another. Now they're ah, ah, and you go, oh, it's a stock trader. <laughs> cool. Do you have any more questions? Oh, come on. Yeah, you guys, you can think of stuff. Oh, quick question for a Zark fan, please. Uh, do you remember singing the Cold Slither song? Oh man! <laughs> I I don't well I you know I don't remember the song but I so remember the session yeah because I'm I'm a bass baritone I sing I can do all I can do all sorts of things you know but I sing I'm a singer I'm a trained bass baritone and they said you know well he's going to sing this song and I, I and of course. Me, Mr. You know, Mr. I'm I'm who I am. I said, well, I think we should sing the song, right? What? Well, I think we should sing the song. And they're all looking at us, you know. And then they do another one of these. <laughs> and then they finally said, okay. So here's what I envisioned, because I'm a singer, is that we would go to the session, right, with the musicians. We would pick a key and we would kick some ass. No, they had already recorded the song. And it was not for a bass baritone. It was for a tenor. It was cold slither. You know, right? And and so it's it's me, and then it's uh, Michael, Chris, and Neil, because they were the dreadnoughts. And they're like, like looking at me, and I'm like doing this, and then we get through it, you know. And, and uh, it was out of my key, out of my range, but we, you know, we went for it as 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 actors as do. Actors do. Yep. And so yeah. I was just so I, I felt so bad about that because they were probably going to hire John Bon Jovi or somebody to do the song. <laughs> you know, it could have been a big hit, but no, Zach had to sing it. And um, but when I watched, finally, years later, I watched the show and I went, oh, it works. So and and look at you guys. You guys are huge cold slither fans, aren't you? We have various different things. We did uh, we did DuckTales and they had the Beagle Boys do a barbershop quartet and they had three of us being the quartet and they had lyrics but no music. And we, it was Frank Welford doesn't sing. We all just kind of like croaked along. And I don't know what made it in the show, but stuff like stuff like that happens. As a, a strange coincidence, just for snicks, this is for all you really old guys. Uh, I used to do some work for a guy named Ron Hicklin who had a music company in L.A. and and did great music. And one of Ron's most famous deals was Jerry Lewis had a son who had a rock and roll band and had like hits. Gary. And, 
and yeah, and Ron Hicklin sang all of the leads that Gary sang along with him. And then whenever Gary was slept, which was most of the time, they'd keep dipping Gary down and bringing Ron up. <laughs> it's kind of great. So, we do a lot of tricks. It's kind of fun. But it's always magical. And when it's all done, you look at it and you go, oh my God, I did that. We did that. And the yeah. same thing with this, yeah. we look at each other and go, we were sometimes not as good as we thought, but a lot of times with direction, we were much better than we and, ever thought and we could be. It's such a joy to be in. You're playing. Yeah. You're really, you're playing. I mean, you you walk in with, you know, the voice, and you got the script, and you got the stuff, and then you just got, you got to play, and that's what's so fun. And, and the other part yeah. is you're playing, and they're paying. So it's got two good things going for it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it's yep. all good. It's great to do this. We are so lucky. Yep, yep, yep. You have a question. Yeah, you did. Oh my God, that would be so much fun. Yeah. I'd have to think about it, yes. Because it's playtime. <laughs> well, I, I think you should. I think you should write to someone. Let him know. Let him know. Write to someone. Yeah. Let him know. Got an extra yeah. season of Chuck under here. Let him know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. In a minute, it's just fun. I'm like it's fun to be here. I mean, my God, it's so much fun to be here. Yeah. And we couldn't be here if you all weren't here, seriously. So, you know, yeah, it is. It is wonderful. Nothing to sign. It's wonderful. I, I mean, I, I walked through the restaurant and people go, hi, hi, how are you? Hi. And it's fabulous and it's three days of a hi, how are you? And then I go to the airport and nobody cares. You <laughs> <laughs> used, used to have to like work it into the conversation. You know what you're listening to? I did that. <clears throat> I don't want to brag or anything, but I did that. Oh, okay, fine. So there's another hand in the back. Yes, what were your favorite episodes to do? You guys, my, mine, absolutely the Serpentor stuff. When I went and stole the DNA everywhere, that whole five show series was freaking amazing. Although I love to work the words Chulmugra into a sentence. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, for me, yeah. I Thanks. I can't, I'm sorry. Remember, I mean, I had, you know, a hundred and um, it was, it's fun as an actor whenever, I mean, remember the first show was the Major Hooper show, where I got to just be, you know, basically my own voice, and then take off the great mask, and there were the glasses underneath, surprise, and, you know, be the Baroness. I mean, that, that kind of thing is just fun for an actor to play. Yeah, yeah, but I can't remember specific shows anymore. I, you, you know, I think the first is always the best, the first, the first episode that you do, and, but then, you know, uh, then I happen to have one that was called Countdown for Zartan. Yeah. How could I not like that? <laughs> oh my God. Have you guys got favorite Baroness things? I mean, maybe some, I realize you all aren't Baroness fans, but are there favorite shows? That you just watch it, watch it, watch it, watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> There's a hand right there. Yeah. <laughs> what? 
I know, I know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm it's not upsetting. I'm I, I am prepared. Uh, <laughs> but there isn't it wild? I think that they were those I was watching it like those girls are hot. <laughs> you guys are like what eleven and these guys are hot, you know. Jay's <laughs> hot. What's going on here? And Baroness is cool because she was also smart. She was smart, like, and, and yeah. that's kind of got its own strange kind of appeal uh, as well. So yes, 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 and she so, took no shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, well, that's going to wrap up the first day of. Of course, they will be back tomorrow. Stuff tomorrow. Yes, morning as well, and that will be. Uh... So we did this. You've done this the last few years for Joe, and you are at GI Joe Con. The script reading. Of course, we have our three wonderful actors with us here today to do this. The title of this script is "There Is It's Well, as you know, we're in Springfield, and if you're familiar with the old cartoon, you understand uh, the Springfield played in the mythos. So this is the long lost missing part of that two part episode. This is there's no place like Springfield part three. Six is a crowd. Oh. Six is a crowd, yes. I got it. I wish I would have it right here in front of me. There's no place like Springfield part three, six is a crowd, so take it away. Following the detonation of Dr. Mulaney's secret formula that destroyed Temple Base Alpha, Cobra have moved to their new secret headquarters of evil. <laughs> Under another Springfield. Why? Possibly this very Springfield. And accessible only via another insidious car wash. This Temple Base Beta houses the top officials of the Cobra organization. Somewhere in the depths, Zartan and Baroness plan their next espionage mission to spy on G.I. Joe and learn their elite operations group intelligence concerning Cobra's activities. As you were saying, Baroness, we should use aliases that we haven't held before. So... Which of those wretched Joes have we disguised ourselves as? And the questions are then, at least if you have had plenty of faces to choose from, I don't have such an opportunity. With only their handful of female operatives, I think I've at some point been each one of them maybe several times. So much for equality of the sexes, pumpkin. Ah, we could use the access and clearance level of General Hawk to grab our desired intel and extract ourselves before detection. Have you been healed before? Of course. Oh. And even in his Tiger Force uniform with orange camouflage pants. What does that even allow them to blend in with on their missions? <laughs> As if our alley vipers orange and blue makes any sense about it. Yes? Your dread, Dr. Old Warrior Ruffians have gone too far. 
production of pseudoplasm. And to use it only for some cockophonious cockfights, no less. <laughs> and have fun synthoids clashing with one another, oozing <laughs> around on tendrils for arms and slug-like pseudopods for legs. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like valuable contract combat training to me, Dr. Mindbender. How is this much different than your scheduled battle simulations? They cursed at me with Australian profanities that I only half understood. I'm left wondering if most of them were even real words. Real words? No, I've often wondered that myself, actually. <laughs> and what would you like me to do about it? Break up their motley gambling ring and encourage them to refrain from entering my laboratory. And certainly from sculpting with my experiments. Fine. Come along and I'll set your perfect world straight. Bam. Look to the Operation Theater. You can hear them boisterousness from out here in the hall. This rocker said my expense is entirely intolerable, Satan. Be well aware that after I have reacquired my pseudoplasm, the next action will be to fire a complaint about you and your rowdy gang of ne'er-do-well rock and roll commanders directly with Cobra Commander himself. I'm sure Cobra Commander has a special place for all of your complaints. What was that? I think I smell paint. <laughs> Torch, open the door. That's better. What are you doing with Mindbender's precious pseudoplasm? Hmm. Wait! Don't answer. Just get out here and give back the doc. Give it back to the doctor and look for some other ways to entertain yourselves. <laughs> Bernard, grab the medical sample container that you're sitting on and get the synthoid back inside. Yes, just trap them inside. No, don't run toward them. They'll just, just... Please, darling! Be careful. You fools. You'll spoof them. Now they're running loose down the hallways of this labyrinth. Under place. Without programming, they're running on instinct. They can hide and disguise themselves as anyone if threatened. There, there they are. Corner them. Don't let them escape. Monkey wrench. Down the grape soda and help us capture those things. Oh, oh, they're making a break for it. Heading straight for Monkey Ranch. Watch out. In this state, the psychoplasm is faded. I mean, the pseudoplasm. I'm getting confused myself now. It's, it's very sensitive. <laughs> Don't spill that concord carbonated concoction on the maker. Oh, no. You've done it. Oh, the. Pseudoplasm is reacting to the drink. It's starting to turn into synthoid copies of us. Us. Doctor and I at least. No, no, there's another one. She looks like me. Oh, but what are they wearing? What? They must have encountered our personnel files, and, and, and then they sold us scrambled their replication system. Those are some of our yesterday's less used and not very fashionable uniforms. Oh, my goodness, it's my, it's, it's my uniform from our short-lived battle corps, the purple and yellow ones. 
capacity. We didn't even show up like that, Susie Webb. Then the eyepiece mounted to the head. Embarrassing. With orange makeup and green pants, <laughs> mine is clearly wearing my ninja force look. Dark it's a look, darling, that even you can tell, eh? You. Ninja Force? Is there anyone else on either Dean Joe or Cobra that hasn't been a ninja? Let me explain this to you, Vinebender. Ninjas are experts in deception and subtlety. Where else would the master of disguise go to hold his craft? Oh, and nothing says subtle like an orange mohawk. <laughs> well, how about your synthoid uniform? Hmm? Wearing blue. That doesn't seem you look bluish to me. Oh, I promised the entirety of my wardrobe. I have nothing that I regret. Mostly, since the battle plane's ridiculousness never made it past the concept stage. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> we can we can bemoan each other's style choices later, but let me just respect this pseudoplasm, and I get rid of this obnoxious version. Two copies of ourselves. I just need to simply transmit the reset trigger, and then let me try transmitting. Transmitting and nothing is happening. Nothing, so then what shall we do with them? What shall we do with us? Uh, Shouldn't we have a say? Oh, you can speak, although not quite our exact voice. A side effect of that abnormal creation, I am sure. But this is impossible, even with access to temple-based betas, personnel files. They cannot form a fully human consciousness without proper programming. And learning to talk is completely out of the question. Allow yourself some imagination, doctor. The great soda scramble now grasp on your personnel files as you understand that. And I don't Dearest England here to gather mission reports, psychological profiles, and in, in, in your, in our case, I have extreme documented research, uh, files and notes. We have managed to create that. similes are not just only uh, still your appearances, but your mind as well. We are, 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 are you. Simply made out of different kinds of between stuff. <laughs> Preposterous! There's no science in anything that you have even said. If you are an exact copy of the doctor, you know that. Yeah, of course, I, I recognize the doing nature of my hypothesis, doctor. And I share your skepticism, but one thing which I am well aware of really is my, my, your, my, my, your doubts. We, you, and are here. In, in, indeed, we are. Perhaps we should forego exploring the science of our being here and get back to this discussion of you trying to find a place for us, huh? Agreed. This science speak is making me feel like a lab rat. And when I realized that I was grown in a lab, it fills my head with very strange questions. Oh, uh, very well. 
before you sprang into creation of as I found myself for examining the possibilities of breaking into Jajok headquarters and infiltrating their database to find out what they know about us. Now, with twice the people power, surely we can make this mission a I assume that Zartan V2 is just as skilled a disguise as I. He would fit his way into our uh, espionage team well. With both of us in disguise, we could cover for one another and make much more believable execution of our Doppler-ganger disguises. <laughs> yeah, yes, Zartan, together you could breach any G.I. Joe facility. Our guises will be f f foolproof. And your doctor, surely two mad scientists, or better than one. Yeah, I refuse to work alongside this, this company. And as, 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 as though I would work with an ego as such as yourself, I demand, de de demand my own laboratory with my own equipment. You demand your own laboratory? What farce? My genius has no equal, not even in a duplicate. Yeah, Doctor, your genius, though, no, 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 currently as great as my own is limited by your humanity. With my mind composed of pseudoplasm, I can forget infinite neural connections, whatever that means, making my potential intelligence beyond measure. Oh, boys. Voice. You are making my head hurt. Listen, you're both smart. And if Cobra orders you to work together in the same laboratory, despite your demands, then you shall work together in the same laboratory. Now, return to the doctor's work and let us see the results of our think tank. Your project should be completed in half the time. Do not fail to meet expectations. But, 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 this is your fault, you know. Get mine? preposterous. Well done, my haunty honcho. Now I expect you want us to plan our mission to the G.I. Joe headquarters. Precisely. G.I. Joe's new headquarters, The Pit. Not available on the internet. Wait, available now on the internet. Just pay the handling fee. Lies beneath the surface in the desert sands in Utah. Ooh. Above ground, there is a small decoy outpost. However, our four Cobra agents are not fooled by the deception. They reconnoitre just outside of the outpost perimeter, ready to launch their mission. Plans on foregoing mission not available online, but if you pay the right amount of money, they could be in the trunk of the announcer's car. See you later. Getting past these guards should be easy. Oh, excellent. You take Zarkan V2 and Baroness V2 with you. I'll stay here to provide support. Should anything go wrong. You take the guard on the left, and I'll take the one on the right. Just as I was thinking my clandestine copy. 
into the lion's den, right on schedule. I don't envy my day too, though. Finding someone for her to replace is going to be tricky. Before this elevator hits the bottom, switch into your mainframe disguise so you can slip into the server room. No, I'm disguised as Breaker. You have mainframe, Sartan. No, I said... Ah. Both have disguises as Breaker? That seems to be the case, yes. Great minds think alike. Great minds will get us captured. All right, you keep the guard's uniform on. We'll come up with some explanation. Hurry, the elevator door is opening. Hey, Breaker, what are you doing here? Last I saw you, you were running towards the con room, blathering about some secret message we were receiving. And what's Smith doing down here? I know he's the, I know he's up top since his spirit's on assignment, but he doesn't have the clearance to come down past level three. Well, uh, 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 it, it's wreckage. I know that. Well, wreckage. General Hawk gave me temporarily unlimited access to help Breaker decrypt the incoming transmission. Er, yes, Private Smith is right. And that's why I have to go back up to the surface and retrieve him. Uh-huh. I have my eye on you. Both of you. Uh, hey, relax. I'm just pulling your legs. Good luck with your uh, boring decryption. I'm going to go try the high score on the new pinball machine in the rec room, okay? Good luck. You bet. And that's why having two of us provides a better cover. Indeed. What, what the... That some kind of beam surrounding the door. I can't move my legs. No, I'm melting. <laughs> oh. Freestyle. I think my cup is blown. I'll have to get out of here. Hey, barbecue, Dusty, get out of here. <laughs> Thin toys are infiltrating the base. Look out for any duplicate jobs. There's too much activity going on here on the surface. Something must have gone wrong. Ah, if the elevator with more Joes getting off, one of them is heading this way. I believe we should make our retreat with haste. What happened to Sartan B2 and my copy? The Joes had a synthoid specific defense. They had no chance. The The Baroness and Sartan fall back to the secret Cobra base under Springfield. Available toy store soon. With all the blue in the audience I see here, how about a big cobra? 
I think the location has lost its secret and rejoin now with Dr. Linebender, who's examining an anthropomorphous gray blot with various scientific probes. Not actually available anywhere for public health reasons. <laughs> it would appear that even without the Jones disintegration ray, the Sintoid stability had an expiration date for something like this apartment. Doctor, that laser gun on your table looks similar to the ones that the Joes used. But he melted all on his own. What are you accusing me of? It's not it. It fell apart. First the O-ring. Yes, it's always the O-rings. <laughs> then the biceps. Even his thumbs, which were sexy in their own right. It was a terrible sight. It just oh. yeah, a terrible kickback. Well, well, darling, so I think we can scratch out another seed operation for my successes, huh? Back in the pit, our slightly surprised heroes re-examined their recent encounter. So our tipster had good intel after all. Do we know who it was yet? Of course you do, darling. Baroness, freestyle, go or duke, I'll hold her off, slow her down. Maybe ask her for a day. No, wreckage! Yuck! When will you men stop falling for the librarian book? <laughs> She's one of our agents. Chameleon, well, you know, no, wait, no, it's Chameleon, yeah, right. It's Baroness's half-sister. We tried to have a dig into Cobra's organization and replace Baroness again. And like my earlier attempts more than a decade ago, this one, too, proved to be a disaster. Uh-huh. Yeah, gotcha. Uh-huh. So there are two of them, and, and one of them works for us? Oh, don't even start, Wreckage. Well, at least let me tell her a few stories about how I've been the hero who saved the day by defusing yeah, a bomb or two yeah, before right, they could right, blow up right. places. Well, she could be interested. Yeah, not even a little, darling. Anyway, I guess it's time to head back to the sidelines. As you Americans put it, the idea of Cobra's top female operative having a real exact duplicate that sneaks away into the evil organization and covertly overthrows her sister so that they can slip information back to G.I. Joe. Well, they'll never be popular. I mean, you know, um, sorry, successful operation. Yeah. Yeah, right. That did sound a little far-fetched, I guess, huh? Yeah. Although I, I personally still, I, I'd be okay with the duplicate. I'll give it a rest. Mm. And so our heroes have thwarted Cobra's latest plan, but in the process had their own mission end in failure. In the end, I suppose that means the status quo remains the same, and nothing really happened here. But enjoy your trip to Springfield. Still available at toy stores. Just watch yourselves. You never know what actually slithering just below the street. Well, thank you very much. Big thanks to Brian, Maury, and Zach, and uh, to Jesse who wrote it. So give it up for him again. Thank you.
So we're going to go ahead and just open it up right to questions because we've got about a half hour and uh, that will. Oh my goodness. Okay. Maybe it's a little half hour. So uh, we've got some questions. I know we, we didn't get to get everything we wanted yesterday, so feel free to ask away and uh, we'll get it rolling. When are we going to get grown-up jobs? Okay. <laughs> so, so yesterday you told us how you got your roles yeah. uh, with the show, but how did each of you get into actually voice acting? Like what steered you towards voice acting, or how did you start in voice acting? I, 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 was, uh, I, I, was, uh, I was born in, in South Dakota, and I was the first time I saw cartoons. I was totally fascinated by them, uh, and it's like realizing my age because I loved uh, the Huckleberry Ham stuff that, that Dawes Butler did. And I was amazed, and, and I spent uh, being in South Dakota. There were not a lot of opportunities to do cartoons, so in high school I got hired by the local radio station. Eventually realized that I, if I stayed, I would just be doing that stuff. I did some plays in school, but then I went to I went to Nashville. Nashville started doing commercial work. Went from Nashville to California. There was a, an ad in it. Uh, in a television magazine, how Mel Blanc was, was teaching. I got to LA, and Mel Blanc was in a serious car accident and was not able to teach, and uh, went to work for a company that produced stuff for radio syndication. It's a long freaking story. And, and uh, Dawes Butler, uh, behold, one of my heroes, came in to do a radio show. And as I was, uh, I was running the board and doing little voices on the side, I summoned up my courage and I went up to Dawes. <laughs> Ever had a chance to teach anybody? And he was uh, thinking at that time of doing it. And had somebody who was going to show up that he was going to teach, and he invited. First, he asked, he said, I've listened to your work, but I'll be cruel and listen to my demo and like what I did. And invited me to his house. Do you know who Dawes Butler was? Dawes Butler and Don Messick were the first television voices for animation. They started with Crusader Rabbit, then Rough and Ready, and then Dawes and Don did all of the early Hanna Barbera stuff. And when they started Captain Crunch, right? He was Captain Crunch, which they actually drew him. They actually had at sessions they animated Dawes' own physical movements to do the character. And then so but he and Don Messick were the first two guys to do Hanna Barbera stuff and they did all the voices between two guys at first. And they were both amazing guys. So I, I was in Dawes class uh, and and Dawes kind of imparted wisdom stuff and, and, uh, and then you I looked, went through town found an agent uh, who was dumb enough to hire me. The the one the moment I mentioned the other day was when I first went to Hanna Barbera to audition, they thought there was an earthquake because I was so scared I was shaking. I thought I was like fooling, <laughs> but that's, and so years later, I worked for that director on, uh, on Emperor's New School, John Goodman, and the same director reminded me of the old days and how far we had come. I guess it's kind of weird we all start there. Also, uh, for Joe fans, uh, Michael Bell and B.J. Ward, uh, were, were the first show that I got hired to handle by Vera was an episode of Jenna of the Jungle. And both of Jenna was B.J. Ward, and Michael Bell was in the cast. And as I walked out of the out of the studio, Michael called me over to the side and gave me tips and ideas about how I can make my performance better. And that's kind of like one of the things I think I like about the Joe community is what I like about the voiceover community is everybody's family and everybody's supportive of everybody else. We all have our, our own egos, but we tend to work well together because people love and support talent and ability from each other. And that skill goes on. Oh God! How I, I was working as a receptionist in Manhattan, and they were doing radio spots, and that's how I joined. After I did some radio spots, um, then I got married again. Oh God! Anyway, um, then I did some voiceover up in Everett, Washington, which is right near Seattle, and I did some on cameras. I came into it kind of, you know, ass backwards. I finally got to LA, 
Um, I had a contact who had given me the name of Don Pitts, who at the time was a big voiceover agent. And you just start hanging with people. Um, and, and you find out about stuff, and you find out that somehow I ended up auditioning for Spider-Man, for Don Jurwich. And it's, it's a very strange... In order to survive in the business, even if you want to be a film actor, you better be able to ride a bicycle and juggle the oranges and do all this kind of stuff. So you're doing educational films, whether it's a background or up front on camera or whether you're doing voiceovers or you're just trying to do everything. You're doing uh, looping for movies. Uh, you're replacing voices. You're doing all the bar sounds because the bar sounds are never shot. Yeah. Sounds never picked up when you're shooting. People just sit there going, and then you go back in and you fill that in and do wall. So you just kind of do everything that happens. But I knew Don Jerwich, I knew Wally Burr, and they started having auditions, and I got a chance to go in. And I don't know. It's just well, I told you the story about how I ended up getting back in the business after 20 years. I'm at the BotCon convention, and this little man comes up. He says, my name is Derek Wyatt. Hi. I'd really like to use you. No idea who he was. He created a character for me, for Ben Tan. And so after 20 years, I'm back in the business. And now I have an agent again, and I'm going into audition. And it's absolutely glorious because all those ego problems that I had about, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I should have done this. Oh, what do they really want? Shut up. They're not there anymore. I'm perfectly fine if I don't get the job. I'm covered financially, and it just changes everything. Somehow, that hunger and that ego problem really got in my way. So, I don't know. I'm back. How did it happen? Somebody asked me to go to JoeCon because I'd been at our... No, somebody asked me to go to Transformers in Pasadena, Fun Public, because... They'd asked me to go to Orlando to do JoeCon, who asked me to go to, because Derek had been a Baroness fan, like a lot of you, when he was eight years old, and hello, here I am. I mean, you know, but, but track that and try to make it happen. No, it just... When, when, Bill, Scott, just when, used to, when Bill Scott did Bullwinkle's voice, uh, legendary cartoon series, oh and there are God. stories about it. Bill Scott disappeared for 25 years, and we, were, we did some shows with Bill Scott called Wuzzles, and Bill, I asked Bill, I said, what happened? And I said, why didn't you work for 25, and he just said, I kind of, I didn't have a really great agent, and for 25 years, nobody asked me. And then one day, someone said, remember Bill Scott, he'd be hilarious. He said, suddenly he was back. So it's, it is an interesting situation, House. Sometimes, but you know, I think the deal is you never hide what you can do, don't have, what's the other thing? Don't hide your light under a bushel, man. Let people know that you're out there and you've got a reason to be so that people know that you have something to offer and give you a chance to offer stuff. I did do something that was very, very fascinating in that 20 years that I was gone. I went back to college and incredible. I use it every day of my life. I, I got a master's and I went three years towards the doctorate and I just got. So much stuff happening up here that when I drive in the car, I don't even turn on the radio. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating, and it's made my life sing, which has helped me to get back in the business and leave all the problems behind. Sir, 
Uh, when I was a kid, I had a knack for doing impressions. And we would watch, uh, we had, there was a show called Jeepers Creepers on in Los Angeles. And, and they would show those old universal uh, horror movies, you know. And, um, and I loved doing impressions, you know. And I guess it's time to down with Peter Lorre. You know, why oh, I love to do him. And you know, and, and just on and on, and you know, like and just the list of, you know, and then I could I was the go-to guy. And and then um, uh, you know, I, and and then you know that was my I think that was well, I don't know if it was my first cartoon voice, but the one I loved, you know, hey Rocky, what you doing rabbit in my head? And you start you you start to be you know, you're and I was yeah. I began by doing impressions of impressionists doing impressions and then eventually, you know, uh, I, I you know, you get on your own and, and uh, uh, you know, you start to do, you know, different people and you know uh, uh, by the time I was doing stand up in college, you know, and I was doing Richard Nixon, because he was great to do, you know, and, 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 and Clint Eastwood, because he was easy to do. And, and, and uh, you know, all of a sudden I just keep doing that, and, and then people would continually put me in front of a microphone. And when I was doing improv, you know, I'd have to be on top because they'd make the call. You know, you, when you'd make the call for yeah. a certain thing, I would be the guy that would have to go out and do John Ritter. Or do Clint Eastwood, or you know, do whatever. And I was the guy, and um, uh, you just keep developing. You just, you know, I got lucky and got a chance to, you know, you know, just keep working at it. And um, the big thing for me is that um, somebody asked me if I knew how to do ADR looping, and I didn't know what it was, but I said sure, because <laughs> there was money involved. And uh, so they, they, I went to a, uh, I went to a studio, and they were dubbing Spanish soap operas into English. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and and they were, and it was Spanish is spoken 25 percent faster than English, right? So if the line was, I am leaving Viviana and going to the train station to go to Mexico. The actual way you'd have to say it would be, I am leaving Viviana and going to this train station to get to Mexico. And so, and I got the lead in two of these series yeah. and, and wound up logging hours, hundreds of hours of, of doing these shows. And then one day I was sitting at home uh, reading the LA Times and I saw the picture of one of my characters. Uh, in, on the second page, and I thought, <gasps> you know, and then, it, then the, the headline was, Spanish soaps, will they wash? And within three weeks, I was out of the job. <laughs> but then, you know, from one thing to the other thing to yeah. the other thing, yeah. I, I don't know if, if, you know, you want to do this or not for life, don't stop. Whatever you're doing, whatever you love, don't stop. Keep going. What, one thing that Zorta incident was um, when you were a boy, you were doing voices. Well, when I was a girl, um, I was in Catholic school, and we had deaf, 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 deaf. They were all they were all tracked, and all the boys used to have their pens and they had their papers, and they were going boom, 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 and I went so I went boom, 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 bo
shut down. And I shut down for a very long time. Right, but I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's, we would teach each other how to do uh, impressions, you know, like, oh, that's good, that's good. And so somebody said, uh, oh, yeah, you got to do, uh, who was it? Uh, so I got, somebody taught me how to do Tony Danza, which was, you know, you got to go, oh, 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 oh. So you, so you get that down, and, and then, and you, and you have to use the word Angela in whatever you're doing. And, 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 um, and, uh, oh, 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 Angela, Angela, look, I'm at the G.I. Joe convention. Oh, 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 This guy's wearing a costume. You know, is that she's the hook? It's yeah, and every character has a hook if I can come up with that one yeah. sound. Just, you know, yeah, it's, and everybody has different moments. My first awareness, for, I, there was a TV commercial when I was a kid that was for some kind of dog food. And it was before they morphed the mutt, so I had these little ducks running around, and this dog is eating this dog food, and they did voiceover for the ducks, and I wanted them to learn to do a New York accent. And there was a little female character, she's going, Hey, there's a dog here. He's a freaking dog, a scary dog, who got for the dog? And I'm, I'm so I'm trying to figure it out. So I went around the house, the book was, Dog, dog. So my new York, you sound dog. And you find a book, and that is what you hang the whole character on. And you don't have to remember the whole character. Yeah. So, that's just about always impersonating other people. Corey Burton's Hans Conrad is still the best in the world. So I don't do Hans Conrad, but I do Corey Burton's Hans Conrad, except it's different with my instrument. So if you are interested in this stuff, start talking back to the television, talk back to the radio, just become immersed in it. And the other thing that we, we all learned is this is all about play. Remember anybody who's ever dieted and succeeded? Did you do it? You didn't do it because you, you hated to diet, you decided you loved the process. If you like what you're doing, you get better at it. If, you, if it's something that you have to do, you may never get around to finishing it. Not to say anything about authors and stuff who have to write, and sometimes it's hard to slog If you do it, you give a 15-year-old kid a guitar, he's going to be playing that guitar and he's going to do a good job of it. You give him a video game, you give him a G.I. Joe figure, he's going to be into it, and it's going to change his life. So it's always about what you play at. You know? Yeah, That's and even it. if you don't want to do impressions, just... Also, also, impressions, they give you ideas. Also, and you go, oh, shut up, Brian. And, then, <laughs> and you have a new character. And your hook is, shut up, Brian. And then you <laughs> Everybody tells me to shut up. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. You guys want to talk? To Hans Conrad. If you don't, Hans Conrad played Uncle Toulouse on the Danny Thomas show, and he also sounds a little bit like the guy in the theater if you go to Disneyland. He's very curmudgeonly, and Corey was doing the character, and he went to a studio, and Hans Conrad was there, and they said, this is the kid that does your voice, and Hans Conrad went up and said, well, at least if you knew me, you had the decency to do me well. <laughs> how have you enjoyed interacting with me? How have we been to you this weekend? Have you enjoyed it? Sweetheart, I mean, come on, no, seriously, it's so much fun. Really, really, it's so great. 
we have someone else to pay for the room, but we want to stay. <laughs> well, you, you know, uh, um, I'm just so overwhelmed by by how, uh, you know, I guess being loved up by, you know, all these all these people. And, and um, uh, I just remember I had a moment at uh, in 2010 where I was walking out of... Uh, the joke on in Toronto, and my cousin was coming to pick me up, and I loved being in Toronto because that's you know I was I was there as a small kid to be able to go to go to JoeCon and and have that kind of fun, and and um, I was walking out and there was a dad with his son, and and he had a whole the kid had a whole bag of stuff, and the kid was really happy, and you know and and uh, and, and I, I said well. Thank you for you know. Thank you for for coming. And, and the guy said, "No, man. Thank you. You know." And he said, "I'm passing this all this on to my son. I get to share this with my son. Something that I love so much as a child. And it, it just it just fills you up. So you guys filled me up this weekend. I I, I am truly grateful. Thank you." Kids who's a design guy called me up one day and I cried afterwards. But it was, he called me up to gripe, to moan, to bitch a little bit. He called me, Dad, I, it's really something, I realized something really terrible. I have your sense of humor. <laughs> it's, it's moments like that that you feel, wow, I can't touch somebody somewhere. I don't know about cartoon babies anymore, but okay. <laughs> I want to ask, what was the worst impression that you had to do? <laughs> like the hardest or the worst? Whatever. There's a lot of bad ones. <laughs> he wanted me to do um, what a all the family, um, the fabulous actress, and I can't do. And yes, Jane Sampson, and I can hear her, but as I tried to say before, it's a place for me to take off with maybe. A voice I can try to do, but oh man, oh I worked so hard and I never, I never quite got it. I don't know. It was your market too, and Jimmy Carter, and and I was doing a, a bad impression of Dan Aykroyd doing Jimmy Carter. <laughs> and it was terrible. It was terrible. The, the, the strange thing, there was a legendary guy. Anybody know who Paul Frees was? Paul Frees was like legendary guy. He did uh, all sorts of bizarre and wonderful things, creative guy. And uh, uh, Paul Fries once said that the best part about doing bad impressions is that they become new characters. If it's really bad and you don't know exactly stuff, it becomes a character on its own. It, again, it's all part of the magic of it. But yeah, there's, I don't even, I can't begin to tell you how many bad ones. And also, it's, it's weird. I had to do Jackie Stewart once, the race car guy uh, from Mattel. And everybody's hearing is different. So I literally took in a tape and took it because you do Jackie Stewart, he's got my discussions, but he's always really excited because he's in the side of the track and oh my god, he lost the wheel, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I did that and the guy could go, oh, no, it's not, it's much lower than that. So I brought in a tape of him. We actually, I did a workshop where Jack Angel, another big voiceover yeah, guy, yeah, came yeah. in and we yeah. gave him a voice to do. We had him do a Humphrey Bogart and we didn't bring any reference. We asked everybody in the class, and it was based upon, Jack used to do, there was a thing called the Pepsi Challenge. And then people would drink, uh, would drink the Pepsi and say, I love Pepsi because it's like, 
not as sweet as Coke. And then somebody else would go, I like the Pepsi because it's really sweeter than Coke, and people's tastes are different. So the whole class, and there were at least one, there was at least a couple people on one side that said his voice timbre was too high, and somebody else said his voice timbre was too low, which is another great, YouTube has changed our lives because you can actually hear who they want you to do, and you can actually hear the real voice, and, and it makes a difference. So the hardest one I had to do is I did, a modern guy does a podcast, and he doesn't talk very, very intelligently. He kind of slurs his words, and he kind of talks in a monotone. And I had to listen really carefully and try to do that. I mean, in an industrial. Why they want to do with his voice, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I cool. go to an audition, and I'll have my little phone with me, and I'll get an idea. Or somebody will say, or we're in a session, and somebody says, we want a, I don't know, a certain kind of accent. And I go like, oh, that's not really secure in my kit bag accents. So you slip away, bathroom is a good place, and you get on, and you, and you hear, and you just start listening and listening until you find a catchphrase, so you can go into, perhaps you do your Swedish thing, you know, but you feel comfortable enough that you, yeah, but sometimes they'll ask you for something, and I go, oh my god, oh mother of god, okay, I, a coffee break, okay. <laughs> what, I want to know what your favorite impression is. Wow. And, and they kind of, well, I, I did a lot of John Goodman for a long time. And, and John was easy because I did um, I did Bernstein Bears and Papa Q Bear in the 80s. was kind of placed in a similar place. To, right, so I like John Goodman because he's a guy kind of a deep voice, but he also talks about his head. And he's like, it can be really tough, but I've done inside. So we've done it by the way. I said, oh, I forgot. It comes and goes, guys. As you get older, it comes and goes, and it goes more often than it comes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yes, I think the process of trying to find something that you don't find, uh, and there are different people who do different things. Uh, one, one great, another great guy who did shows, Pat Fraley, is really good at doing something different than, I, I know what I was going to say earlier, and I forgot this. You can do voices really easy. Uh, today by doing mechanical stuff. I have people do Dayton Allen. Remember Dayton Allen from the old Steve Allen show? And Dayton Allen had one line, he would say, Why not? But he, Dayton would put his tongue between his teeth, and then he would say, Why not? Now you got it. Anybody can do that. You can just don't bite your tongue too hard or you'll have to go there. You just move things around in your mouth. Physical engineering can get you started right there. You can just so the first thing you want to do if you want to do something that nobody can impress on and say, I can do this voice really great, then just do that. Yes, and don't don't be tied down by whichever gender it is because I I listen like Morgan Freeman. I'm not going to sound like Morgan Freeman, but on a commercial, listen to Morgan Freeman. He is talking right to you. And he's got his own read. So I'm listening to Morgan Freeman. You know, pick anybody. They'll give you a cue into something that you can create. And then, and then that, the idea is to talk to somebody. If you, if you don't feel that, imagine somebody that you know that you're looking. I mean, from your own memory, you could imagine somebody. That you, and there's even other stuff. When we're, we're giving voice lessons, if there's a difference between another thing that's talk to this guy in the front row here. And I'm going to talk to this guy, a whole lot different than I'm going to talk to all of you. So mm-hmm. if you know the person you're talking to, another thing you could do if you want to get an, an acting beef at school is, if you're talking to somebody who doesn't believe what you're telling them, who just looks at you like you're crazy and full of it, right? Then you're going to talk differently than if you look at somebody who's accepting. So just a couple, a couple oh, yeah. of easy things you can do just oh, yeah. to trust yourself. So just, yeah, it's cool. 
It's very easy. Mm -hmm. So you're a nice room, so it's easy. Yes, if, if your tail's on fire, you're going to read differently than yeah. if, you know, it's yeah. a sunny day. I mean, but that that's all improv stuff. That's all the Second City, uh, Viola's Ball and stuff, mm -hmm. which is fabulous to realize that where you came from and where you're going is going to entirely change the way you read. I mean, I realize it's more about acting and theater and film work. Still, it changes everything. But we all we all do these things. How many times have you had a fight with your significant other, and then you're driving in the car, and the fight gets replayed in your mind, and you suddenly do the fight, only this time you win the fight because you're doing your own brain. We all do these things, and sometimes don't even know that we. That we yeah. Now, if we're really professional, we wouldn't say anything about the five-minute left sign. But if you have questions, you better do it fast. <laughs> we're spending the first three in denial. <laughs> No. I, doing theater, I've always had trouble doing like a proper Irish accent or that kind of thing. But uh, Morgan, you mentioned yesterday that the Baroness accent doesn't really sound like someone from anywhere. Oh, I have I have no idea. For all I, you do, do you find that that kind of not quite right accent is is more useful in, in voice work or, or you know? Have you had a good example of that? Well, she was being a really cartoon important. figure. It's not like her family was going to show up and say, But no, if, if I'm on a session and they watch that, I need to have a touch of an Irish accent. They're not going to go first. You know. But sometimes if they start differentiating, because there, there's the Northern Ireland, and then there's, you know, there's the Midlands in England, and there's the Liverpudrian, and... I'm on my phone very fast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You try to give them as, as much as as much as you can because there probably is some other actor in the studio who's thinking, God, I could do that so much better because I know how. You know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a famous guy, Robert Easton, who was supposed was a dialogue coach, also a great comedian in the in the yeah. 60s. And Robert was supposed to be able to go county by county around the world and give you the exact accent. There's a lady who's got a website, Eliza Jane, that calls herself Eliza Jane Doolittle or Eliza Eliza Schneider, and she's been recording accents that you can find. And also, if you want to do the freebie thing, uh, the I think MIT has a website where they study accents in regions all over the world. And you can go on their website, and they give everybody the same paragraph to say in their local dialect. We did a, a, a show for the third world in which I played a Muslim archaeologist, and they got us. So we looked up the United Arab Emirates, because we didn't have uh, Iranian, which is what it was supposed to be. So we looked up uh, Arab accents from three different countries surrounding the country I was at. And the guy that was, uh, was in charge of the accent uh, passed off on it. And so there are places and resources. Now online is great. You can find stuff. Yeah. There's library resources. There's a was a great thing that actually came with a book. If you're more visual than you are oral, and, and so so you can see acting with acting with dialects, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then there's and you can hear and you can but you can also if if you follow music if you do that you can work off the page. But it's an old book. It had cassettes. Oh, no, no, they're out. They're out on the CD. And I had the old book. <laughs> the collector's version. Pat Fraley has a couple of CDs, and he has a comedic one that's great. It's, it's uh, like voice tricks, where you can do things like and, and fake French and how to sound like sheep and other things. 
Well, again, you never know what your social security Oh, yeah, you can just imagine. Okay, okay, we're at a recording session, and somebody says, Pat Fraley has something where he shows you how to sound like sheep, yeah. and the room is gone. Oh, yeah. Of course, Pat Fraley has something to sound like Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway. I don't know if Okay. I, I imagine the temptation has got to be out there. Do you ever prank call your friends in character voices? You know, my, I have a friend who insists, you know, that every now and then I have to call him as Jack. You know, and and uh, uh, you know, like, all right, you've been sleeping too long. You gotta get out of the bed right now. And I'm talking about now. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a daughter who's married to a guy uh, in Maine and, and uh, his in-laws. The woman is the world's supreme Alice Cooper fan. They've seen, they've been all over the country, followed every concert. She has a mannequin of Alice in the back of their PT Cruiser. That's a half mannequin, and a full one in the rocking chair in the living room. So, uh, and she's also very shy. So I went and did kind of a Vincent Price welcome to my nightmare phone message machine thing for them, and suddenly uh, we are best friends. It's amazing. <laughs> Alice, on the other hand, doesn't return my calls. <laughs> Are we running down? No. We've got a question over there. Did you do just the one voice for G.I. Joe, or did you do many voices? You're talking to me? All three of them. I just did the one voice, and then I was Soldier 4, uh, yeah. I was Cobra 9, uh, <laughs> the Elevator Boy. I sure, you know, I'd do like these one-line uh, characters, but I'd have like nine of them, you know. I'd be Zartan, and then I'd be nine other characters. Well, not nine, because the, the session fee uh, allows you to do three people. So you couldn't do nine. You could do two more. Okay. I, I got to do other voices because, as you know, the Baroness would be someone, and you didn't know it was a Baroness, and all of a sudden the mask would come off, and there were the glasses. Oh my goodness. And, uh, and I would be the Baroness, you know, so I always had to do my. My fooler person. That's what yeah. I yeah. once one or two. They would usually on scripts that a lot of times they would abbreviate the extra voice and, and call them uh, would be A V O. So I was so I have this Italian guy and playing this able is my guy. But, but yeah, just look yeah, again for that fee, you'd be a mayor someplace and you'd say, Yeah, okay, I'm gonna make my job and then the rest of the time. But at the end of every session, at the end of every session, you know, like we there'd be eight of us, you know, at the mic and, and, and we'd just be ready to like leave finally and and, and while we go, oh, oh hold on, okay everybody, uh, everybody do uh, yo jo and we do like three yo jos and then okay, everybody do cobra, cobra, you know, and, and, and so you know, that's, yeah, we'd all do that. And fight sounds, you know. Yeah. Fight sounds. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 it still beats working for a living. I was going to do the one Wally story that Wally told about himself. Okay, I'd rather answer your question if you want. I'll tell you later with the other people. Go ahead. Hi, Hope. Everything's here. I'd like hey. to hear your Wally story, please. <laughs> 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 
Okay, here's what I need to tell myself. Okay, uh, uh, so Wally tells us in South, he'd been a film director, and he was shooting a Western scene, and the idea was after a long, hot uh, situation in, in Lake Los Angeles, which is really, really hot, it's not a lake anymore, it's just a hot lake bit. The, the idea was at the end of the film that the guy walks off into the distance and they're going to shoot this guy walking off in the distance. So they get to the scene, big time, guys are walking off in the distance, and the guy walks, and pretty soon he's getting really small. And so Wally takes everybody, he breaks the camera, he breaks everybody on the set down, they take everything away. Now the guy's walking, he's going, if I blow this, I'm going to do this all over again. It's hotter than you know what here. So I'm just, okay, they'll just call me. So they never tell him that everybody was gone. He just keeps on walking until eventually finally he stops. But that's the Wally story. That was one of the finally got <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, so that was the voice actor panels. I hope you enjoyed them. Uh, again, they were a lot of fun for me to be there and experience them. So I hope at least some of that, if not all of that experience comes through in the audio for you. I hope you uh, can tell that you know these voice actors are just a lot of fun. I got to talk with each one of them individually at JoeCon, and they were they were just an absolute blast, just down to earth people that are absolutely amazed at how much of a fandom is out there for this character that was just a job for them at at one time, and now it's kind of like it's left a legacy for them. So it was really cool. But just wanted to wrap up the show here. Uh, we do have voicemails from you guys. I have. I don't want you thinking that you know they didn't get to me or anything like that. Obviously, I'm waiting until we do another episode uh, coming up in the future where you know Robert or Chuck or somebody is on with me and we could play those voicemails. I know we got some emails also that I, I want to respond to those as well, um, but I don't want to do them by myself. You know, you guys want to hear multiple people's point of views on the things you guys are calling about or asking us about or whatnot. Um, the other thing I wanted to, to mention out there is. Uh, it's again sad news, and I God, I hate giving out the sad news. Uh, but it, we're losing more and more creators all the time, and I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have already known at this point. Uh, but it had to be said is that uh, we did lose Herb Trimpey as uh, a great comic book creator, super nice guy. I did get to meet him at Baltimore Con. It, it's sad that we're losing these creators. I mean, it 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 really is. Um, we are going to do a tribute tribute episode to Herb Trimpey. It'll probably be episode 151. I don't want to make episode 150 a tribute episode to someone that passed away, even though we're celebrating their life and everything else. Um, I want I want 150 to be, you know, like I said, maybe some special guests and everything else. But 151, I already have planned, is going to be a tribute episode to uh, to Herb. and Because uh, I know what he meant to the Joe community. I know what he meant to just comic community in general. Um, and I want to do it right. I want, and that's another reason for waiting on doing it is I want to make sure I, I do my homework on his life and everything else. And we're going to get some guests on. Uh, I know John Thurman would, uh, wants to come on and he's a great person. I know we've had him on many times, but he's a great person for knowing the artwork that Herb has done over the years. And he's a huge Joe fan. Uh, we might get Shannon on to talk about Herb and Robert and things like that. Cause I know they've had some their own experiences with him as well. So 
Um, but like I said, I want to do it right. Uh, just like we did for Jeremy, I want to do something right for her. It's well-deserved. Uh, he was he was a great guy, and he brought a lot, obviously, a lot of enjoyment to the Joe community. So um, so with that, let me go ahead and uh, – but I wanted to give you guys an idea that, you know, something is coming. So uh, I didn't want you thinking that we didn't it, – that it went unnoticed uh, with us. So – with that, let me go ahead and give our information for you guys. Uh, you can find us at starjoes.com. You can find us at the forumforgeeks.com where you can sign up and be a forum member and interact with us every day uh, or interact with other members every day. You guys are keeping that community going strong, so I really appreciate that. Um, you can find us on Facebook, like us. Our likes have been going up drastically in the last month or so, which is just awesome. We're up to 635 likes right now. Uh, I remember when we hit 500 not that long ago. So uh, I really appreciate you guys spreading the word, getting word out about Star Joes. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Um, you can also interact with us on Twitter. So you can follow us on Twitter. It's at Star Joes Podcast. You can email us at starjoespodcast at gmail.com. You can uh, call and leave us a voicemail. It's 440-941-JOES, 440-941-JOES, and leave us a voicemail. Again, we do have a couple voicemails. I'll play those in a very near future, and uh, we'll respond to them. Please leave us an iTunes review. Uh, it gives us more exposure, uh, which is always great, and uh, we'll read that any of those reviews on the air as well. Also, big shout out to Scott uh, out there. I don't want to say your last name because I don't know if you want me to or not, but uh, I do want to give a shout out to Scott and uh, because I put the call out there in episode 145 saying that there was a couple files that were showing as getting errors or something like that when you tried to download them from iTunes. And he still had the episodes, which was just awesome. So he reached out to me and said, hey, I still have them. Do you do you need them still? And he sent them to me and I was able to download them. And so as soon as I can, I'm going to upload them back onto the uh, Podbean website. And hopefully uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take out the old one. I'll put these new ones in and uh, hopefully that'll correct the problem. And you guys will be able to download those, those episodes. Those of you that have gone back now, newer listeners have gone back and listened to some of the older episodes and had problems with just a few. There were three episodes. I think it was 15, 18, and 87. Uh, why those were a problem, I have no clue whatsoever. But uh, thank you very much, Scott, for getting those to me. It is hugely, hugely appreciated. And uh, if you guys ever run into problems when it comes to our episodes or anything like that, please let us know because we'll try to take care of it if at all possible. So, with that, we'll go ahead and close by saying the Force will be with you because knowing us is half the battle. He's a terrifying enemy of G.I. Joe. Destro is his name. Destro is his name. Evil Destro. Introducing Destro. You better watch out, Joe. Hey, what's going on? Destro's stealing our tank. We gotta stop him. We didn't get you, Destro. You've met your match, Joe. Destro is here. G.I. Joe Battle Tank comes with figure, other figures, and Destro sold separately from Hasbro.